The following segment contains content that is both medical and adult in nature. It is not appropriate for young listeners. Discretion is advised. You are listening to Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Ignorance is not bliss when it comes to sexuality. Shame, fumbling, needless fears, problems with sexual function, and low self-esteem and social withdrawal all may result rather than joy and closeness. While the estimates of prevalence of sexual symptoms range from the very rare to over 90% of the population, the Loyola Sexual Dysfunction Clinic has had a long waiting list despite the fact that no marketing or advertising was ever purchased. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Domina Renshaw. Dr. Renshaw is a professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Loyola University of Chicago, Maywood, and director of the Sexual Dysfunction Clinic there. She is the author of many articles and books on the topic. Today we are discussing issues in male sexual dysfunction. Glad we could have you with us today, Dr. Renshaw. My pleasure. Dr. Renshaw, why the focus on male sexual dysfunction in this decade? It's on commercials, on TV and radio, sports figures and movie stars alike promote prescription remedies when 10 years ago it wasn't even talked about at cocktail parties. Well, I think it began in 1975. There was a urologist at Houston at Baylor University in Texas, and he was treating a paraplegic male and was trying to put in a, a Foley's catheter. Right. And in inflating the Foley's catheter, it was defective. And instead of having the circular little bubble, which goes in above the urinary outlet in that uh, automatic valve, it lifted the penis because it was about an inch and a half long, and it lifted the flaccid penis. And Dr. Brantley Scott got an aha phenomena and thought this is fantastic and he was a physician who then went on carefully to study and invent the penile prosthesis. And so that began the era of what I call the penis industry in the U.S. where we had all kinds of urologists in this country, in Paris, in Argentina, in generally in the world, looking to find ways to give this wonderful erection for the male. And that began the search. And there have been many, many different kinds of evolved treatments, mostly mechanical to start with. And there was a vacuum pump that was added. Then we got the pharmacy changes when they used vasodilators injected directly into the penis with a tiny needle. They used an insulin-type syringe and needle for the male to give him local vascular dilatation. And that gave a chemical erection for the male. And there were all kinds of clinics in the late 70s and early 80s, every community hospital in the country from Minneapolis to Florida had a potency department in their urology department. That has completely changed with the evolution to Viagra. What is the truth about Viagra? Is it being used correctly? Some of them do and those that do not come to us. When Viagra came to the U.S. officially in 1998. It was available for about a year in Europe, in Canada, in other places, but not in the U.S. That was 1998. People asked me whether Viagra was going to close the sex clinic, and I said, I don't know. 
patients or my teachers, they will educate us and tell us. It hasn't done that. And each rotation of the four rotations of the year, we have at least three or four men who have Viagra and don't use it properly. It needs arousal by foreplay with the patient. It's an interesting medication because you need someone else to get an effect in yourself as the male who is using it. And they don't say that on the commercials. They don't say that on the commercials. If you take a Viagra or Cialis or Levitra and take the dog for a walk, you've got a $10 dog walk. If you take it and don't do foreplay and go to sleep, it's not going to give you an erection out of the blue. And so patients need to be told. And also, we need to tell them that if they have too big a meal, if they have too much alcohol in the stomach, it works poorly, if at all. It takes slower to be absorbed, and it may not be effective. So when the physician has a patient come in and talk about a Viagra failure, discuss the details so that you know if the patient is using it correctly and whether you've remembered to tell them that they need stimulation from the partner. Now, since you mentioned alcohol, what about the role of alcohol in male sexual dysfunction? It is well known to be some chemical that for centuries has been used to improve their interaction with a partner, but it also has the effect of every beer can and every glass of wine hanging on the penis to pull it down, and it can cause erection problems just because of excess alcohol. It raises the desire, but it reduces the performance. He may need to wait eight hours, have a good sleep, try again in the morning. He may be able to function, but alcohol is not an aphrodisiac. It does lessen discomfort with social situations, so many men will use that as a preliminary to dating and going out with someone, but excess alcohol, depending on his tolerance, depending on the amount of food in the stomach, and how close to intercourse, it may impede his erection. So there's a role for the primary care doctor to ask some of these questions and find out how basic or what level this is on. Do you offer treatment to patients with significant medical or psychiatric problems, and is, is the treatment effective? We've not turned anyone even in a wheelchair. We feel that whatever their physical problems are, we'll do the best to help them to attain the best they can with alternative functioning between them as a couple. Now, I would not call that a success scientifically in the clinic because to me, because of the sexual interaction and exchange, we need to have intercourse with ejaculation within the vagina for me to call it a success which is why I struggle with delayed ejaculation. It's not a disease, but it's a very tenacious symptom that may cause a battle between couples because she'll blame him. You're withholding it from me. You don't love me. Do you ejaculate with someone else? It causes all kinds of couples' conflict. But we need to help them sort out what's going on and teach them that we don't have a perfect treatment for that. Men are told, go get Sudafed because it's an ephedrine and maybe the stimulant will help him. But there are very few things that I can tell you that are instant assists for delayed ejaculation. We tell him to try a vibrator because that can be a more intense stimulus, can help him. We've also suggested that he put his thumb and forefinger around the root of the penis during intercourse to give himself the added stimulus. 
that he might need in order to ejaculate inside. But it is a symptom which is rare. In all the years, we've probably had about 80 only of those 3,030 men that we've treated. But it is something that needs further research. It's one of the few symptoms that needs further research. The other ejaculation problem that men have much more frequent, it's often estimated as about 46 to 50% of couplings, that there's rapid ejaculation. And that relates to anxiety. We teach him self-relaxation. We suggest he use it before he begins coitus. We discuss options for him where he is on his back, supine, and the partner is on top. She squeezes at the tip of the penis. He can squeeze at the root of the penis or the shaft. We do lots of foreplay before they get there. If that is still not successful because he is too anxious, the sad thing about premature ejaculation is that it's constantly aggravated because he has anticipatory anxiety ahead of time. And then each time he worries about the next time, and you get a secondary symptom immediately after it or within months. He begins to get erection problems. He's given Viagra or Cialis or Levitra, and that doesn't fix the ejaculation. It'll give him an erection, and that's maybe a release, but the premature ejaculation is still there. And for that, we have used an SSRI. Zoloft is the one that had some studies, controlled studies with a placebo comparative group, and we use it like 25 milligrams about an hour to two hours before proposed coitus. If that's not enough, he still ejaculates with that, we'd go to a 50, but it's not daily for the rest of his life. It's when he needs to have intercourse, and that's been very successful. The prognosis for premature ejaculator is very good, whereas I cannot say the same for delayed ejaculation. You know, you mentioned the engineer before. Does having an MD or an RN after your name give you any immunity to sexual symptoms? What have you seen in your practice? We have the same vulnerability. I have physicians, I have chairmen, I have lawyers, I have dentists. It has no respect for our education. And so, yes, we all are vulnerable to sexual problems. Do men develop forms of ISD or inhibited sexual desire? They do. And that often relates to conflict between them as a couple. If she's critical, if she puts him down, if there is the worry that she's gone with someone else. One last question on this topic. Where can physicians go for more information? You've educated us so much, but when they return to their practices, there will always be more questions. Well, they can go to the Internet using common sense because along the side are all the ads for the aphrodisiacs that are total nonsense. And the patient needs help to sort out what's going to be helpful. I know nothing about herbs to tell them whether they're even dangerous at this point because we're all just too busy in the practices we run. But they can get my book, and I'm not making a plug for it, but it's available. It's called Seven Weeks to Better Sex. And that is the sex problem, hitting all of the sexual symptoms. And it was written for the physicians. I did it with the American Medical Association as an assistant for busy physicians to use with their patients where they can read for a few hours and get the self-help. There are lots of books on the market. Masters and Johnson 
books are older now, but they can still be helpful. But there's a tremendous amount that can be done. The important thing is to get a sexual history to ask in every new patient, how is your sexual function? And if there is the need to talk, bring them back when you can give them a half an hour. You know them. It is important that you're giving dignity and attention to the symptom that brought them to you because otherwise they may not get the help that they need. You know, Dr. Renshaw, in a short amount of time, you've just given us a wealth of information. I want to thank Dr. Domina Renshaw from the Department of Psychiatry at Loyola University, who has been our guest today, and we have been discussing sexual dysfunction in men. I am Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.